knock that off. Hey, you guys love each other a lot, man, and how cool is that? I, uh, I love this place, man. This is, uh, this is very, very cool. Last night was, woo, last night was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, man, hallelujah. Thanks for all the hard work that everybody put into uh, taking us to the throne. That's what we, that's what we talked about yesterday morning is the necessity of us in these last days coming into the presence of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate you being here. And, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, it's just so weird. I wish, I wish you could get in my head uh, coming back. It is, uh, it is just the coolest thing in, in the world. Uh, had no idea when, when we pulled in here about 32 years ago or whatever it's been now. Uh, what, what God would do. I, I can tell you this, um, there will always be a good portion of my soul that is in T County and uh, in this place. Uh, you know, I, I'm an idiot and I get that um, in more ways than you can ever imagine. But, you know, with the, you know, just the name of this place, First Baptist of New Philadelphia. I, I, am, I, I am enamored with the Philadelphian church period, the greatest time in the history of the church. And uh, man, in Laodicea, it's a whole different animal than the Philadelphian church period. And I just love the thought of a new Philadelphian church <laughs> in the Laodicean age. And that's really what we're talking about this week. Is <laughs> how the presence of God can come back into our lives so that our lives get rocked, get impacted. But what I've, you know, since Pastor Jeff has uh, had on his heart that for us to talk together this week, about personal holiness is, as I just began to pray and ask God to, you know, show me what, what, what is it that you want to use me to say when I come back to people that I love and a church that I love, a pastor that I love dearly. Uh, and and I, I kind of pulled together what I'm calling top, the top six reasons that personal holiness has gotten so jacked up. And I really do believe that personal holiness in the last days has gotten totally jacked up. And, and yesterday morning when we, when we started, there was one key reason that I, I think, and I think this above all of them, there's, there's six of them. Actually, y'all, there's about 500 of them. But I know me, and we were going to probably only be able to get through six, and for some crazy reason, I thought we would get through three of them tonight. We'll see how that goes, or what time we end. We'll see how that goes, too. But the, the first key reason, and man, I, 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 I want to just talk a little bit more about this from a practical standpoint. The, the first reason that personal holiness is so lacking 
and so jacked up in the last days is we have lost sight of God's holiness. And we looked yesterday at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 where God says to us, using Peter, as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy. And we talked yesterday about the fact that how we actually see God as he is holy. As we see him, so will be our life. And our problem in the Laodicean church period, according to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, is we have a sight problem. And our sight problem is so drastic that we are actually, what God says is that we are blind. <laughs> okay, and, and so as we see him as holy, so will be our holiness. And when we are blind to who he really is, listen, it is no surprise that believers can enter into the realm of sinfulness that we're entering into in the last days. And for a lot of years, you know, just, hey, the chief characteristic of the last days is that we're blind. We have a perspective problem. We have a we don't view things right. But the Bible tells us how it is that we get struck with blindness. And, and there's a key passage, uh, the pastors, we were talking about this passage th this morning. In, in 2 Peter chapter 1, very incredible passage. And I want to talk just briefly about it before we get into what God has for tonight. But, but as Peter starts this second letter... He starts talking about all of us who have obtained faith, the like precious faith, he calls it. The faith that's just like the apostles had, just like Peter had. That's the faith in the 21st century. That's the faith that we have been brought into, y'all. Like precious faith. And, and obviously he talks, you know, in those first four verses about how cool that is. And what God has actually done in our life, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Yay, this faith thing is the biggest thing that will ever happen to any of us. And then he comes to verse 5 and he says, and beside this, okay, be that as it may, that faith thing is great, gotta have it. But beside this, Giving how much diligence? All. All diligence. Not just hitting at it. Yeah, I'm going to kind of work that into my schedule when I find some time. Giving all diligence. And what he does is he lays out for us not a trendy little path for growth, what he lays out for us, y'all, is the divine strategy for our growth and development. You've heard of the Ohio State University? Okay, this is the, the divine strategy for our growth 
and development. And what he tells us in this passage is he says, listen, if you'll do this, if you'll give all diligence to that and you'll get into that sequence, that scope and sequence of growth, it brings with it three unbelievable guarantees. What he tells us in verse 8 if these things be in you, the things he just mentioned there, and they abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, listen, if you do this thing, you will truly know Jesus. I like that guarantee. But listen, I, I want to tell you this. I don't know any other way that you're really going to know Jesus without following the divine strategy. And he says, listen, if you'll do this, it's a guarantee. You're going to know Jesus, man. How awesome is that? Do you, do you understand that knowing Jesus is what this faith thing is really all about? Amen. Jesus is praying the night before he died, he's praying in John 17 in verse 3. And he says to the Father, And this is life eternal. And I bet you at that very moment that God the Father was up in heaven going, Oh, great, I've been wondering what this thing is. Bring it. What is it? Something tells me that maybe God knew that already, what it is. And that just perchance, he was praying about this so John could record it so we would know it. And this is life eternal. Oh, you've been wondering. Here it is. That they might know thee, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Listen, that's salvation right there. Knowing the Father... And knowing his son, man. And I love what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah says in chapter 9, verse 23, and of course it's the Lord saying it to him. Hey, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But if anybody's going to glory, let him glory in this. That he knows and he understands me. That's worth glorying about. And, and listen, you know how you get there? Follow the divine strategy. And the promise is, if you'll do it, you will know Jesus. And secondly, at the end of verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, if you do these things, listen to this. Ye shall never fall. Anybody want to sign up for that class? <laughs> Especially in light of the fact that the holiest dude that ever graced the planet, the guy that came in having no baggage whatsoever, his name was Adam, and Adam fell. The strongest man in the Bible, a dude by the name of Samson, fell. The, the wisest guy in the Bible, Solomon, fell. 
the guy with the most intimate relationship with God, David, fell. Okay, how is this that we're not going to fall? Tell me what to do again. Because something tells me if those guys fell, Mark Trotter is just about that close at any given time. And God says, if you'll do this, you'll never fall. Wow, that's pretty cool. And then 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, he tells us the third thing. And this is what he says, is that you'll enter into what kingdom living is all about. And do you guys understand this? Okay, do you understand that everything in this life is all about the next one? Everything that we're investing right now in our life in terms of God using us, investing in his kingdom, do you understand that it's all about us going to the judgment seat of Christ and being rewarded, offering those gifts, those rewards back to Christ? And what it does is develop a capacity for giving him glory and praise in his everlasting kingdom. And what he's talking about in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11 is that time when we come out of his throne room at the judgment seat of Christ and we make our entrance into the everlasting kingdom. And he says, listen, if you'll do these things, if you'll add these things to your faith, man, that when you make your entrance, it is going to be abundant. Man, listen, y'all. With those kind of promises, that's worth giving all diligence to. But there's also three negative promises, three negative guarantees that he gives to us. And this is in verse 9. He says, But he that lacketh these things... And this is why I'm going into all of this. He that lacketh these things is, would you say it? You know, our Laodicean problem is that we are blind. And this is a passage that tells us why it is in the last days that we're blind. It's because we're not giving all diligence to thee. I mentioned the divine strategy. He's blind. And cannot see afar off. You know, usually that's a characteristic of blind people. <laughs> they can't see what's in front of them and they can't see afar off. It kind of threw me for a lot of years. Um, what he's talking about here is what... What Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when he says, while we look, not at the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He's talking about having that long look where you see afar off, and, and you're looking into that everlasting kingdom. And seeing what that's all about. And everything in your life is just motivated to bring him the supreme glory in his kingdom. And he says, listen, 
If you do this, this is what it's going to be. And if you don't do this, you'll be blind, you won't be able to see far off, and you'll revert to living life the way that you used to live it before you came to know Christ. You'll forget that you've even been purged from your old sins. Listen, y'all. Verse 9 is Laodicea. That's where we are. And when it comes to personal holiness, I don't think we can disconnect ourselves from this passage. In order to see him, according to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, in order for our lives to be holy as he is, we've got to see him in the fullness of all of his glory, in all of his holiness. And it's all connected to a little passage in 2 Peter chapter 1. And, and, and listen, I, I've taken way too long to talk about that. <laughs> but I got to say this to you, man. You are in a church that has built its entire ministry on 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. I don't know if you know that or not. <laughs> This whole attend, learn, engage, lead. Do you know what it is? It is another way of saying, okay, now that you come to faith, give all diligence and everything that they're trying to lead you to do in this place is because of that. And, and, and listen, man, if you're a part of this church, I say to you from my heart, it's easier for me to say it now that I'm not the pastor here. But Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 6 says, follow the faith of your leaders. It says in the same chapter in verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourself. And I just want to say to you, man, if you're a part of this church, you found one of the craziest places on earth. And I mean crazy in the coolest possible way. I can't, I, I can't name this many churches that I know that even know that 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 exists. And this is a place that's built their whole ministry on that. And so listen, show up. And get discipled, get to be a part of a life group, and when that ministry training, tools and training thing comes back around in September, get yourself ready and get yourself in there, man. Listen, it's not going to, you know, not going to help this church one little bit for me to come and sermonize you this week. And talk about holiness and let me uncover this for you. And miss the fact that our, the reason we struggle with holiness is we're blind and we can't see afar off. And so listen, you're in a place that's designed 
to allow you to be holy as he is holy. And so I urge you, man, in the name of Jesus, to get plugged into what God is doing in this place. And everybody said, okay. Okay, can we start my time now? <laughs> all right, so first of all, and man, I've got way too much material. Let, let's see if the boy can synthesize. Okay, the, the reason that we have such a hard time with it, y'all, is we've just lost sight of God's holiness. And then secondly, we've missed the point of salvation. And, and I know that sounds... That sounds crazy, but I really do think we miss the point of salvation. And I think this is a church of all churches that I know of that is very familiar with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where it talks about the perilousness of our last days, and the thing that he tells us that makes these last days so perilous is that we see everything that we see through the lens of self. And listen, it distorts our vision, y'all. We, we see everything because we're lovers of our own selves. And so we, we just look at things in life through that lens of self, and it affects virtually every area of our life, even our comprehension of the Bible. L listen, it's the weirdest thing, but the love of self has brought us to the place to where we've just constantly got to be reminding ourselves that this book is not first and foremost about us. But it's first and foremost about Christ and Him ruling and reigning in an everlasting kingdom where every knee is bowing and every tongue is confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Yeah, man. You, I don't know that you'll find anybody that is more grateful for the love of God than me. I, I'm, I'm sure there's people that got just as much. But man, I so appreciate the fact that the God of the Bible loves me. John 3.16, of course, says, for God not just loved the world. He so loved the world. I love the word so, man. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 he says, for God who is rich in mercy, for his great love, not just his love, man, but his great love wherewith he loved us. Ephesians chapter 3 and, and verse 19, Paul talks about coming to such a place of understanding the love of God so that we get to the place to where we understand that we'll never understand it. <laughs> that it passeth knowledge man i love what john said in first john chapter 3 and verse 1 behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us listen i, I i'm going through all of this because i want to make sure that you're hearing me say i can't say enough about how grateful i am that god loved us and i wouldn't diss that for the world it's biblically impossible to diss that but i just want you to know something that there is something that god loves more than people you say what in the world 
could he possibly love more than people? And let me just talk for the next few minutes about what I'm calling the big picture of salvation. The big picture of salvation. Do you understand what this, this thing is really all about, y'all? Do you know that what this thing is really all about is you and I find ourselves in the big fat middle of the greatest love story imaginable? And the love story is, is not about us. It includes us, but it's not first and foremost about us. It's this love story about a father who's passionately in love with a son. And a son who's passionately in love with the father. And the father has this all-consuming, all-embracing, passionate and relentless desire for his son to receive glory. And so at a time and time before time, before God had created time, God looked through the annals of something that hadn't been created that's called history. And he just began to look to say, what could I offer as a love gift for my son? And you know what he did? He looked through the annals of history and he saw this thing that's called church and he says that's it I'm going to offer that as my love gift to my son because that church will be his bride and that bride will be comprised of every kindred tribe people and nation and what I'll do is I will make them a holy people. You see, that's what God was choosing in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. People, it's it's not hard. God, before the foundation of the world, wasn't choosing individuals for salvation. What he was choosing was the love gift. Do you know what the theme of the book of Ephesians is? It's the church. It's not about individuals for salvation. He chose us. Who's us in Ephesians? The church, the body of Christ, and the bride of Christ, Ephesians chapter 5. And and what what he chose is that we would be holy and without blame before him in love and he predestined that before the foundation of the world, man. And he did that according to his good pleasure. That that love gift would be to the praise of the glory of his grace and that we would be accepted in the beloved. Because, listen, y'all, that's who we are as the church. The love gift of the Father. 
And He chose that we would be in Him so that He could make us a holy people. And you know what He's longed for? is to prepare that bride. You know what he's doing right now, y'all? He's preparing the love gift for his son. And there's coming a day in the near future when he's going to present the bride. You know, the doors are going to open. Here she comes, man. That's, and he's going to offer that love gift to the son. And you know what the son does with it? He offers it back to the father as his love gift to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24. Then cometh the end. This this is the end of the story, y'all. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the father. The father says, Here's my love gift to you. And the son says, and here's my love gift to you. And you know what happens, y'all? If you really want to get the big picture of salvation, we are the love gift that is shared between the father and the son. Oh, my goodness, y'all. If we could just get a glimpse of that. And the holiness that that comprehension should bring to our lives. Let's talk next about the big purpose of salvation. And and listen, y'all, you're going to have to listen faster than you're doing because I I got too much more. The big purpose, okay, that's the big picture. Let's talk for a minute about the big purpose of salvation. You know what God's always been looking for, y'all? If I were going to tell you what I think Laodiceans typically think, is that they think that God is really anxious to cart a bunch of people to heaven when they croak. Because that's the way that we invite people to salvation, is it not? Are you sure that you're on your way to heaven? And we're inviting people to a place rather than to a person. And and I'm convinced that one of the reasons that God's people struggle with holiness is because of that. What what, What we signed up for is not going to hell. We didn't sign up to be connected to a holy God because we were under such deep contrition because of how he had worked in our hearts to reprove us of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Oh, yeah, hey, I I get the hell part is in there, man. There's judgment because he's holy. You guys have been learning about that in Romans, man, and it's real. But listen, you know what God wants? He's been looking all along for a place for his name to dwell. You know what the name of God is? The, the name of God, listen, is, it's the sum total 
of all of his attributes, everything that comes together to make God who he is, that's his name. And what God has always been after is a place for his name to dwell. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 13 defines dwell as a settled place. You know what the God of the universe wanted, y'all? A place for the fullness of all that he is. But that place to just be settled. In Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 11, I just want you to see that what he's showing us here is that he was looking for a place that God was going to choose for his name to dwell. In Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 21, the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to put his name. Deuteronomy 14, 24. The place that the Lord God will choose to set his name. Deuteronomy 16, 11, No pun intended. The place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to place his name. Deuteronomy chapter 26 and verse 2. The place which the Lord thy God has chosen to place his name. And again, I, I, okay, I, I know, hey, all of those said the same thing. That's the reason I wanted you to see it. He's always been looking for a place for his name to dwell. Exodus chapter 19 and, and verse 6. He's talking to the nation of Israel, which is a picture, of course, of the individual believer. And he says, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, listen, and a holy nation. And listen, in the Old Testament, the place that God chose to place his name was in the tabernacle, in the midst of God's camp as he's leading them on this, this journey. The place was the tabernacle, which was, of course, the forerunner of the temple. And as you begin to, to just read through the boring stuff about all of the stuff in the tabernacle, if you'd miss everything else, just don't miss the fact that he says, and it shall be holy, and it shall be holy, and you shall wash it, and you shall sanctify it, because it shall be holy, and it shall be holy, and it shall be holy. You know what? Yeah, I, I, I think all that stuff's in there not so we can recreate, recreate little models of the, the tabernacle. I think it, I, I do that, that's fun. But listen, I think the reason that God did all of that and he's given all the details is so that he could drive home the point that the place where his name would dwell must be a holy place. And it must have been sovereignty that made me not be able to have this reference for you. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 12 through 14. You know what God says in this passage? Okay, sorry, this is what he says. And I'm not trying to be cute or anything like that. I'm just telling you the word of God. He says, okay, so now, when you ease yourself, here's what I want you to do. Go outside the camp, have a paddle on the end of your weapon, a little shovel, and when you ease yourself, bury it. You know why? For the Lord thy God 
walketh in your camp. You know how we might say that today? God said, I don't want to step in your doo-doo. <laughs> I can say that stuff now because you can't fire me. Dung, I mean. There's a nice King James word for you. But listen, do you know what God kept saying to Israel? Don't defile the camp. Don't pollute it. Because I want to walk there. And again, I want to remind you that Israel is just the picture. And I think you know the story. The nation of Israel found all kinds of ways to do what we Laodiceans do. Found all kinds of ways to defile him and to pollute him. And yet, God worked. Even in and through those people that defiled his name and polluted it. And yes, I get it. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. God is, is saying, listen, you're a holy people. And I intended it to be that way. I chose you, nation of Israel, to be a special people above all the people on the face of the earth. And listen, the reason that I did that is not because you are so cool or so anything. The reason I did that wasn't because of you. The reason I did that was because of me. It's because I'm love. And let me give you the reason that I loved you. The reason that I loved you, I think this is verse 8. The reason I loved you is because I loved you. I like that reason, man. It's just because God is a God of love. And so again, I want to emphasize, yeah, man, God loved Israel. I, I, I went to seed on it earlier. God loves us. But I want you to see what it says in Ezekiel chapter 20. And if you could skip to the last one in Ezekiel chapter 20, imagine that I'm actually editing something. In verse 9, God says, and this is why I worked. This is why I, I continued to do what I did. I did it for me. I, I worked, I wrought for my name's sake. That it should no longer be polluted before the heathen. In, in Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 11. Now, listen, back in verse 9, don't have this verse, but ch check it out. He says, for my name's sake will I defer my anger. I'm, I'm cheesed. I'm angry. But for me, for my name's sake, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer it. And then he says in verse 11, for my own sake, even mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? I'll not give my glory unto another. And that's the issue, y'all. 
He wanted a place for his name to dwell because the issue of salvation is the glory that we bring to him by not polluting his name, by not defiling his name, but by reverencing his holy name. And God keeps trying to say, I do what I do for me, for my glory. Isaiah 43 and verse 25, God says, I even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. Here it is, y'all. For mine own sake, I won't remember your sins. You know why God forgave them? Us. Because it glorified the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name above all names. It glorified Him to offer forgiveness to sinful human beings that constantly defile Him and pollute His name. But listen, y'all, He's always been looking for a place where he could walk and where his name would be magnified, his name would be glorified. And let's fast forward, okay? I think you get it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, what he tells us is, listen, you're that temple now. You're that tabernacle now. This may be so overly simplistic to you. I just can't get over the fact that the God of the universe wanted to take up residence in me and in me find a place for his name to dwell so that he could be magnified. Paul has to write to the carnal Corinthians the same thing that would need to write to Laodiceans. What? For real? You mean to tell me you don't know that your body is now that place? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. You've been bought with a price, and the whole issue now is the issue that it's always been. Glorify Him, man, in your body and your spirit. He would, listen, in that Old Testament tabernacle and temple, He was OCD about everything being holy. Does anybody think that God is any less committed to His temple being holy now that it's inside of us? And all of that... It shall be holy, it shall be holy, it shall be holy, it shall be sanctified, it shall be washed, it shall be holy. It's all to teach us that now that he's made us that place for his name to dwell, that we should be, you don't need me to run down the aisle, do you? Holy. And God is so serious about this. So serious, I don't think, I don't think we Laodiceans get it. Have you ever seen what he said in, earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? 
in verse 17? You talk about a verse that doesn't get coverage in Laodicea? Anybody ever seen this verse? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. He's serious about this, y'all. Because it's his name that is at stake. Okay. I'm going to have to edit. Okay, number three. (laughs) We've forgotten the call of separation, and I think I can do this real quickly. Because it's really the the same thing. But I just wanted to establish that the whole issue of salvation was glory brought to his name and his name dwelling inside of a bride that he wants to present to himself as holy and spotless without wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. Okay, we've forgotten the call. Of separation and, and this is back in the Old Testament in Ezra chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 now, now when these things were done the princess came to me saying the people of Israel and let me just give you a quick little context God's people have been in 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 bondage again they've been released a remnant of them are, are going back to Jerusalem a group has gone ahead and has seen what's taken place in the holy city and comes back and tell tells Ezra as he's leading this remnant back to the homeland to establish the holiness of God and worship he says now when these things were done the princes came to me saying the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands doing according to their abominations and then he goes and he lists all of these godless polluting people groups and and, and listen again if you want to if you want a great picture of the church of jesus christ in laodicea it's right there people that claim to know god have not separated from themselves from the people of of the lands go go on to verse two if you would they've taken uh, of their daughters for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands yea the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass the way we might say it in laodicea is the reason that so many churches have so many carnal people is because they're being led by carnal pastors the holy seed lives like they're lost but files in the church building on Sunday morning and sings holy, holy, holy. Okay, that's negative. I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, listen, now that you've been saved, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Another name for Satan. What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God? Which temple ye are? 
with idols. For you're the temple of the living God, as God has said. I'll dwell in them and walk in them, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And again, I want to just say to you, Laodiceans are all big about receiving Christ. Yes, I've received Christ. What he's talking about here is us separating ourselves so that the God that we've received receives us. Go on to the next verse if you want. And I'll be a father unto you. And you should be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And what what he's trying to say here is, listen, this is who you were, and you're not that anymore. You're that called out assembly. You're that holy nation, that, that royal priesthood. You're the bride of Christ. You're that place where holiness dwells. The name of God dwells in you now. So come out. Don't touch the unclean thing. Don't go back and live the way that you used to live. And man, I'll receive you. I'll be a God unto you and you shall be my people. And better than that, I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters and know the intimacy of that relationship Because we are holy as he is holy. And listen, what an incredible privilege. And that, the next verse goes from verse 18. Having therefore these promises. What promises? That the God of the universe would allow us to be his people. And that he would receive us. And that he would be a father to us and we would be his sons and daughters, and having those promises dearly beloved. Oh, listen to the Spirit as He calls out to us tonight. Let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God. And I'm just going to let the Spirit take that, y'all. That's his call on our life. And then the last thing, and I'll do it as quickly as I possibly can. We struggle with this thing of holiness. Number four, because we haven't comprehended the magnitude of the Spirit's sealing. Okay, just track with me for just a sec. We, we saw earlier that before the foundation of the world, God was calling out a bride for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And and this group of people would be different than any group of people that has ever existed because they would be in Christ. And Christ would be in them. Woo! I mean, he's not going to just walk with us. He's going to walk in us. And Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 says that we, again, he's already mentioned this, that we should be to the praise of his glory in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that ye believed. This is what he did. He sealed us with that Holy Spirit of promise. 
You know why he sealed us, y'all? So that we can never get out of Christ. Listen, people that believe you can lose your salvation do not understand the book of Ephesians, for crying out loud. We're in Christ. Christ is in us by his Spirit. And that Spirit has sealed us. And it's the Holy Spirit of promise. And he, he, he has sealed us until the redemption of the purchased possession. In other words, when we got saved, y'all, we became his purchased possession in our soul. But listen, there's more that needs to come in this redemption thing. Romans chapter 8. And verse 23, at the end of the verse, it talks about the fact that what we haven't received yet is the redemption of our body. And because we haven't yet received the redemption of our body, we live in this body of flesh, man, and it is a piece of work if you haven't found out, man. This thing, whoo, it is unbelievably powerful. And listen, if, we, if, if, if our salvation was dependent upon us holding out faithful to the end, none of us would make it. We'd have, we have to be sealed with the Holy Spirit so that we're constantly in Christ. Christ is constantly in us. And listen, we haven't received the redemption of our body yet. That's that part of redemption that we're still waiting for. And listen, the Holy Spirit of God is going to seal us until that day. In other words, he's going to seal us in Christ until we get a body that's incapable of sinning. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, it says this, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Listen, y'all, when you put that into the context of what he's saying in the book of Ephesians, do you understand what he's saying? Is when you got placed in Christ and the Holy, by the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit sealed you, he ain't going nowhere. And because he ain't going nowhere, for God's sake, don't grieve him. The book of Galatians talks about, Galatians 5, 17, that the flesh lusts against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary, the one to the other. And that's why we don't sometimes do what we even want to do. It's pictured for us very graphically in the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, ju just, just listen, okay? This isn't going to take long. In the book of Esther, Haman is a picture of the flesh. Mordecai is a picture of the spirit. And, and check it out. In Esther chapter 3, you can read this later, okay? In Esther chapter 3, it's a picture of the flesh lusting against the spirit. In chapter 4, it's the spirit lusting 
against the flesh. And what the whole conflict is, is that Haman has the king's ring. And whoever has the king's ring is the one that holds the power, the one that holds the authority. And the flesh, Haman, has it. And we come into Ephesians chapter, or Ephesians, Esther chapter 4 in verse 1. And I want you to see Mordecai. Who is he a picture of? Spirit. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. You know what that is, y'all? When we allow the flesh to dominate our lives because the Spirit of God that lives in us ain't going nowhere, you know what he does? cries with a loud and bitter cry. You know what I wish? Man, I wish we could hear that. I assure you tonight, if you ever heard the Spirit of God that lives in you crying because of our carnality and our insistence that our flesh is going to rule if we could just hear that cry, we would fall on our face and stop it. This was, I'm, I'm going to end on this, all right? It was 13 years ago. Uh, on 9-11, as I recall, my son had moved down to Georgia. He went with uh, his best buddy since we moved here when they were in their two-year-old class, and he's 32 now. And uh, he moved down to Georgia with Brenton Bonanno. And, uh, you know, they were 19, and, you know, man, they had full of life and all of that, and... You know, they got down there and started, you know, trying to figure life out together. And after a little while, Brenton felt like, you know, this isn't my deal, man. So Brenton moved back. And, you know, we, we kind of felt good because Brenton was down there, you know, that Judd had a, a, a buddy. And uh, so after Brenton left, it was like, you know, God brought this, this friend into, uh, I, I call him Judd, Justin, uh, into his life, and wow, Th these guys were just, I mean, tight. <laughs> I, I mean, just unbelievable friends. This, this guy would be on a date, and he'd call up Justin, hey, what you doing? <laughs> hey, enjoy your day. And, and they, you know, just had a great relationship, good-looking guy, you know, all, all of that stuff. And so, 
one evening, as the sun was about to go down, he's on his motorcycle, and a van turns in front of him, and bam! I mean, he just, his face into the side of the van. Just absolutely demolished his face. Just all kinds of crazy bleeding going on and all that. They put him in a drug-induced coma. I don't understand all of that, but, you know, and so Judd and his dad were there at that hospital morning, noon, and night for a week, you know. I mean, and, you know, and just trying to you know, get to the place to where they can do the surgery they need to do on him. And it was on a Wednesday night. I, it was about 5.30, and I left my office. I was just pulling around here, and my cell phone rang, and it was my son. We, we'd been in the balance with this thing for about a week. He calls, and he says, oh, Dad. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. There's something... Yeah, the, the doctors are saying they're, they're nervous because there's a, a clot in his, in his lung and they're really concerned about it. And I, you know, I remember driving down Commercial Avenue, man, just, oh, no. You know, wow. And so, you know, I, I went home, got something to eat, came back. We had, you know, worship team practice that night. And through the whole practice, you know, I'm living in that. And so got home and Judd called and, you know, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I lived with him for all those years, and I'd never heard in his voice what I heard that night about 10 o'clock. He's crying his eyes out, man. Grown man. Saying, Dad, Dad, Dad. They're saying he's not going to make it. I, for the first time in my life, I think I really understood when God says how he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, man. I couldn't have grieved more. We, you know, we're praying for a miracle. Everybody was, man. Jerry and I laid down, and neither one of us are sleeping, and the phone rings about 1230. My son's just crying with a loud and bitter cry. Saying that he's gone. And I gotta tell you, man, listening to my son grieve like that whew, rocked me to my core. And I stepped back and I thought, oh my goodness, God. Help me to cleanse myself of all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God so that I don't grieve your Holy Spirit that lives in me. We're not holy, y'all. Because I don't think we get what that sealing of the spirit thing is all about. And when we live in the flesh, y'all, don't ever lose sight of it. If you 
Esther chapter 4, verse 1. He walks in the streets of our life and cries with a loud and bitter cry. Let's bow our heads.